Good morning and welcome this fine, beautiful Sunday morning. We appreciate your presence here with us at Midway. If you have your Bible today, you may want to go ahead and open to the book of Psalms. Psalm 32 is where we'll spend some time today. Psalm 32. We've already read from there, but as you're turning there this morning, I want to tell you about something that happened in a San Diego, California superior courtroom a number of years ago. There was a robbery that had taken place, and the prosecution was interviewing a witness, an eyewitness, and so he was going through the process. He established the fact that the witness was there, that uh, the witness did see everything that had taken place, did witness the robbery and all of those things, and so he goes through all of those questions, all those scenarios, and he asked the question then, he said, is it true that you observed a vehicle leave at a high rate of speed? And the eyewitness said, yes. And the prosecutor said, uh, were there any occupants in the vehicle? And the eyewitness said, yes. And it's about this time that a defense attorney's uh, worst nightmare takes place. Because the prosecutor asked the question in his booming voice, and are those two occupants in the courtroom today? And the two defendants sitting over here both raised their hand. <laughs> Can you say, guilty? Now you think about that, that's a little bit funny, and I can almost imagine that happening because I've observed some people who have been guilty of these different kinds of crimes and things like that, and you see on television, you know, some of these people who, who commit these crimes, and it's just amazing how foolish they are, but, but think about that, they admitted their guilt. And when we think about guilt and think about courtrooms and all of those kinds of things, it, it is something to be concerned about. But, but this morning, I want us to think about some things in regard to guilt. The title of our lesson today, if you want to give it a title, is Why Do I Feel So Guilty? And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But as you're thinking about that, I want you to begin this morning by understanding that God intended our ability to feel guilt to be a good thing for us. He intended it for our good. Now, think about two or three passages with me this morning. We won't elaborate on them. They won't spend a lot of time there, but it just illustrates the point and establishes the fact that God intended for guilt to be good for us. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, at verse number 10, the Bible says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Think about the idea of the godly grief that's mentioned there. That's the guilt that's tugging at our heart that says, I'm guilty and I need to make a change in my life. And that causes us to change our actions. It causes us to change so that we can indeed be saved. Again, when we think about guilt and how God intended for it to be good, it's illustrated on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when Peter preached that lesson, he spoke about the Christ who had been crucified through these people who were standing here listening to him, had actually witnessed with their own eyes, had actually cried out with their own voices and said, Crucify him, when he establishes the fact that this risen Savior is indeed the Son of God, the Bible says in verse 37 that the people were cut to the heart. King James Version says they were pricked in their heart. That's the tug of guilt that's pulling upon their life. And so when we think about it, again, a couple of passages there that 
help us understand that God intended for guilt to be something that can benefit us, something that is good. But guilt is intended, was intended by God to, to be a temporary pain which would turn us back in the right direction. Key word is a temporary pain, a temporary thing that would cause us to turn and do what was right. But after that, it would be resolved and we would no longer have to deal with that. But you know what? As we think about life and the way that we live and the way that mankind pretty much has lived from day one since sin came into the world, we understand that that guilt, even though some people deal with sin and, and guilt in different ways, Guilt that is unresolved is something that, that is not good, something that, uh, that, that we need to, 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 to work on. And, and so surveys have shown things about uh, unresolved guilt, especially one that was done by a man by the name of Dan Eubanks. And, and this within the Lord's Church. A number of years ago, he interviewed 39 gospel preachers. And in the survey that he did, he says, Do you believe that unresolved guilt is a significant problem in the church? Based on their experience, what they had observed, the things that they had witnessed among the people that they had worked with, 39 of them were asked the question. 26 of them said yes. Unresolved guilt is something that, that is a problem, that continues to be a problem within congregations. Seventy-two church members were asked the same question uh, by Mr. Eubanks, and though of those 72, having been asked the same question, 51 of them said indeed, yes, that it was definitely, very definitely, a significant problem with the church. Fifty-seven of the 72 who were asked were also asked this question, do you find it difficult to forgive yourself? And 57 of those 72 said, yes. I believe that unresolved guilt is indeed a problem with, within the body of Christ that sometimes we have those feelings that, that are not just temporary, but we hold on to them. We, we maintain them in our life. And through the years, as I have preached the gospel, I have had conversations with people, and on more than one occasion when this has taken place, but conversations with people who, who just can't seem to forgive themselves. They hold on to that guilt. They, they just cannot get rid of the guilt that they feel within their own life. And so, I believe we can't just stick our head in the sand and, and forget about it and say it's not a problem and dismiss it. It may be that you're here this morning and you too are struggling with the problem of unresolved guilt in your own life. You have those things that, that tug on you on a, on a regular basis. Every day almost you get up and, and it drags you down. It hurts on more than one occasion. I want you to know this morning you're not the only one who has experienced those things. And I want you to understand this morning that, that even people in Bible times 
suffered from these things to a certain, to a certain degree, and, and yet we also find the answer within the pages of God's Word of how to handle and how to make ourselves better from this, this idea of unresolved guilt. If you have your Bible again and uh, you haven't opened it, you may want to look at the book of Psalm 32 and Terry read for us verses 1 through 5 this morning, but as you look there, you, what you'll find is a psalm that most scholars agree was, was written as a penitential psalm. You know, a repentant David wrote the psalm after his uh, sin of adultery and murder. And, and he, he pins these words. But the thing that I want you to see is at the very top in, in your Bible, most likely it has what you might call a little title. It says, A Mascal, uh, depending upon which translation you're looking at, it may be spelled M-A-S-C-H-I-L-L, or it may simply be spelled M-A-S-K-I-L, but A Mascal of David. You ever stop to think about those titles that are given to the Psalms and what they mean? They're there for a purpose. They, uh, they were given not just by the, by the writers, uh, you know, the translators, but they were given by, uh, uh, you know, uh, those men who wrote in a lot of occasions. But, but what is a mascal, a mascal of David? Well, the term mascal has to do with a song uh, that provides information. And you might just simply think about it in this way. It is a song that gives Instruction It imparts wisdom, if you will. And so David wrote this psalm to help us understand some things. He, he, he wrote this psalm to give us some instructions. But what was David writing about? What is his instructions about? David struggled with his guilt. You think about what he says here in this passage in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. He, he speaks about the blessings of forgiveness, but he also speaks about the, the, the hurt of guilt. Look, if you will, in that psalm. He speaks about his feelings that he was experiencing. He says, My bones wasted away through groaning all day. Something was gnawing on David. Something was eating on him from the inside. It, it, it's taking him down. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day. Look again. He says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. David's hurting. His guilt for whatever period of time that he struggled with it, his guilt was hurting him, eating him alive. You know, I think as David writes this, we automatically go to the passage that talks about Nathan the prophet coming to him and 
telling him, you know, David, you're the man. He tells him the story of, uh, of the neighbors, the rich man, the poor man. One had a whole flock, the other had, other had one little ewe lamb. And, and when the, the rich man had guests, he didn't take one of his own lambs and kill that to feed his guest. He took the ewe lamb from the, uh, from the poor man and he slaughtered it and he fed his guest with that. And David said, you know, this man needs to be killed. And Nathan says, you're the man. And immediately, it seems, David makes his sins right. But how many days had it been? How long had David been struggling with that before Nathan the prophet ever said, You are the man. You see, the guilt was eating on him. It seems that he admits here in this passage, even before the time when Nathan the prophet came and said to him, You are the man. You're the one who has committed this grievous sin. David says, My bones were wasting away. I couldn't sleep at night because he knew what he had done was wrong. He was struggling with the guilt that he had in his own life. And so, David, what do you do about it? What's the solution to the problem? Well, four things that I want us to look at in the time that we have allotted this morning that that we need to look at from Psalm 32 that perhaps will help us with any unresolved guilt that we might have and be struggling with in our own life. Number one, as we think about what is said here, I want you to see in verse number five, David said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Look at what I have highlighted in red. David said, I acknowledged my sin to you. I think the first step is to admit your guilt. Admit your guilt. You see, Nathan does come and Nathan does point out and Nathan does spur David to move. But David said, in order to take care of what was eating me from the inside, of what was hurting me so badly that I couldn't sleep at night, that that was physically affecting my life, in order to take care of that, number one, I had to admit, I had to acknowledge my guilt. You know, as I think about that this morning, I think about some other passages of Scripture. In Psalm, or rather Jeremiah chapter 3, at verse number 13, Jeremiah talks to the people of Jerusalem. We've been studying about the people of Jerusalem on Wednesday nights. We know that Jeremiah and, and Micah, they were contemporary prophets, but as Jeremiah writes, he says to the people of, of Jerusalem, he says, Only acknowledge your guilt. And he goes on and gives them some further instructions. He says, You've rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. They had, they had been idolatrous, but did you notice how that passage starts? Only acknowledge your guilt. You've got to admit that something is wrong. Something that you have done is wrong. Acknowledge your guilt. By way of contrast, look at Ezra chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is after the Babylonian captivity and the people have come back. And, and still they were not perfect, even though they had come back. But, but notice this, this cry, if you will, that Ezra writes. He says, 
saying, Oh my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt, that's what we're talking about this morning, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt, and our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as it is today. Ezra says, we're guilty. We're guilty. The guilt has mounted up. It's piled up. You could almost climb up on top of it and crawl up into heaven. Get up into the sky. That's how big it is. But notice what Ezra does. He admits the guilt that they have. In the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse number 10 of that same passage says if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and our word, his word is not in us. You see, that's a failure to admit guilt. If we ever want to resolve the problem, we have to, we have to almost be like you know, some of those 12-step problems. It's, hello, my name is Mark, and I'm a sinner. I have sin in my life. And so as I think about struggling with guilt, it may be because I have never admitted that I have sin in my life, that I need to admit, that I need to acknowledge the fact that I've done wrong. I acknowledge it. But secondly, as I think about what David said there in Psalm 32, notice again what the Bible has to say, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. And we have some Hebrew parallelism that's taking place there in the first part of that verse. They, they're, they're, they're pretty well parallel to each other, but the idea that David says in the latter part of that, where he says, I did not cover my iniquity, it is the, the fact that he was willing to confront his guilt. I, I'm not going to hide it anymore. I did not cover it anymore. For a time, he had tried, hadn't he? Until Nathan the prophet came to him and said, you're the man, David had struggled with his guilt, but he had tried to hide it. He had not acknowledged the fact that he was guilty, and he tried to cover it up. It's interesting what Job said in Job 31, verse 33. Job, in his conversation with God, said, if I have concealed my transgressions as others do, by hiding my iniquity in my heart, is what that verse says. Depending upon which translation you're reading from, that phrase, as others do, may be translated something like this, as Adam did. If I've tried to cover my iniquity, if I've tried to hide my iniquity, my sin, like, like others do or like Adam did, think about Adam. Whenever Adam and Eve partook of the fruit that God had forbidden them to eat, what did they do? They tried to cover their nakedness with their clothing, their fig leaves, if you will, but they also went and hid when God came walking in the garden. And that sometimes is what we try to do. We try to hide the sins that we have in our own life. You know it's a tragedy 
when individuals, when families, when congregations try to brush sin under the rug. Ignore it. It'll go away. Seems to be the way we sometimes think. David tried to cover his up. He couldn't sleep at night. It was eating him from the inside. Had to confront the guilt that he had. You know, sometimes it's not enough just to say, I'm a sinner. I I need to acknowledge the specific areas with which I'm struggling. I said blank. You fill in the blank. I did blank and fill in the blank. Confront the guilt itself. You know, a lot of times we have people who will respond to the invitation and and, and they'll make statements like this and I understand that it's out of a good heart that people seek to do these things and so I'm not... I want you to understand that I'm not trying to uh, to hurt, but sometimes we'll we'll begin our confession with "if I have." If I have, it almost says I'm not sure if I did or not. I realize that sometimes we acknowledge that we have done things to certain ones and may not realize that we have offended or hurt others, and so that's why we say, if I have. But what I want to say this morning is simply this. We need to be careful. You see, when we're confronting our guilt, it's not an if I have. It's because I have. Because I have said this or done this, and specifically these things that we acknowledge in our life, Because I have done these things, I need forgiveness from the person. I need forgiveness from the congregation. I need forgiveness from God. Confront the guilt. But then, thirdly, again, look at Psalm 32 at verse number 5. Notice what David said. Number one, I admitted. Number two, I confronted. Number three, I confessed. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Again, highlighted in red on the screen. I will confess my transgressions. Number three, confess your guilt. 1 John chapter 1, again, verses 8 and 9, and I mentioned a while ago verse 8 and verse 10, but but think about verses 8 and 9. In verses 8 and 9, John writes and says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. And then verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an important passage. If we confess, God will forgive. If we confess, God will forgive what? God will forgive our sins. God will forgive us of, cleanse us of all, A-L-L, unrighteousness. If you happen to have your Bible open at 1 John chapter 1, hold your finger there and turn to chapter 5 of the same book. 
In chapter 5, verse number 16, there John continues his writing and says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God. God will forgive him. Uh, God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. And then watch this curious phrase. He says, There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. There's a sin that God says people should not pray that the person should be forgiven. You know, that's caused much consternation. It's caused a lot of people to say, what is it? We'll go back to the book of Matthew. must be blaspheming the Holy Spirit because Jesus says we won't be forgiven. Contextually, John says, God will forgive all unrighteousness if we confess. Contextually, what he says here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 is here's a brother or sister who will not admit, who will not acknowledge, who will not confront, who will not confess the sin. He abides in it, he remains in it, and as long as he does that, until he makes it right, until he makes his confession to God, there's no need to pray for him to be forgiven until he confesses. You see, David said a long, long time ago that in order to resolve the guilt, the unresolved guilt that he had, in order to resolve that, he needed to make that confession. Psalm 32, verse 1, David said, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David did that. God forgave. You say, Preacher, I've done all that. I've done those three things. And I still, I still am suffering with that plague called guilt get up in the morning and I think about it. I go to bed at night and I can't sleep because I still feel guilty. Well, there's one other thing I suggest that we should do with our guilt. And that's forget it. What do you mean, preacher? That's what I've been trying to do. Forget your guilt. Remember what we just read in Psalm 32 verse 1. David said, Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. I ask you a question this morning because I believe this is, this is the heart. Listen to me carefully. This is the heart of why we sometimes struggle with guilt. The question is this, what does God do when he forgives us? What does God do with our sin when he forgives us? Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. God made a promise about the coming age, the New Testament. He says in that passage, he says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins, will I remember 
no more. That passage is applied to the New Testament of Christ in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. The writer of Hebrews says, This is the covenant that I will make with him. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their heart, write them on their minds, and then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. When God forgives us, God forgets. That's what God wants us to do. Think about some of the things that the Bible says God does with the sins that are forgiven. In Micah chapter 7 verse 19, we just studied this on Wednesday nights. Micah chapter 7 verse 19, he says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. How deep is the sea? I asked that question on the Wednesday night. We covered this verse. How deep is the sea? Miles deep. So deep that, that even modern technology that we have and different things, we can't retrieve things from down on the bottom of the deepest trenches. And God says, I'll cast your sins into the depths of the sea where they can never be seen again. That's part of God remembering our sins no more. My, uh, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14. The Lord's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, speaks about our iniquities and so forth and how basically we've been forgiven. And, and notice he says, verse 11, or 12 rather, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We speak sometimes about the North Pole and sometimes about the South Pole. Have you ever seen an East Pole and a West Pole? If you were able to get in an airplane and start flying east, when would you ever get to the West? I mean, if you just keep flying, no matter where you are, if you're flying east, where are you going to go? East. As far as the east is from the west, God removes our sins from us. I remember them no more. Why? Put them down in the bottom of the sea. Got them so far away from us that we're Better than a dog chasing his tail. Because we never can catch them. They're always gone. Or as the east is from the west. The problem comes in when we try to do what God doesn't. We try to hold on to the sin that we've admitted, that we've confronted, and that we've confessed. And God doesn't do that. He forgets them. Is it easy? No. Why? We live with consequences, don't we? But we don't have to live with guilt.
David suffered from it. It ate him almost alive. He took care of it. And then he spoke about how happy, how blessed he was because God had forgiven him. What will you do with your guilt today? It's a real problem, isn't it? What will you do with it? It's a real problem, but God doesn't want it to be, does He? He intended it for good. It doesn't have to be if we deal with it properly. But once it's dealt with, our faith in God, that He will maintain His integrity, that's what we talked about in class this morning, that He will maintain His integrity never again recall that guilt, that sin that we've done and hold it against us. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to resolve some guilt that you have in your life by taking the steps that we've mentioned this morning. If you're not a child of God, then you need to make the great confession of Jesus Christ and be baptized for the remission of sins. But if you've done that and you have sinned again and there's guilt in your life that you haven't resolved in those ways, make that confession today. Let us pray with you and for you. And God will forgive you and you can forgive yourself. If you're here today and you need to respond to God's invitation, why don't you do it right now as we stand?